Hi, welcome to this week's episode on strategy and sourdough. This is Honor, and together with my co-host Thomas, we're going to be talking about goal setting. This is a very interesting episode because this is where we bridge the gap between everything we talked about so far on the strategy, which involves customer research and knowing about your market and figuring out what products you are going to build and how you're going to solve problems and execution, how you are going to make that a reality. Yeah, I actually think goal setting is really an interesting point in, in today's time because I think 2020 is a good example of the reality of a lot of businesses, isn't it? Yeah, we talked about Mike Tyson's quote, like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, exactly. And I think everyone, by and large, you know, there's maybe a couple of categories at the moment that haven't been punched in the face, you know, some of the e-commerce categories and telemedicine and things like that. But I think most categories and most companies in categories right now, small and large, have been punched in the face by and large. And then therefore, what happens to your goals and your targets that you set in a year like this? So how do you set goals then is a pretty good starting point. I want to start by, should you even set goals in the first place? What's the value of setting a goal? Based on my experience advising startups, it's very hard to secure funding, for example, if you haven't thought about your goals in a, in a, in a way that you can prove with some kind of science. You know, we, we've all seen the hockey stick curves and the, you know, the infinitely scalable startups where cost doesn't follow the, um, or fixed cost at least doesn't follow the, the sort of, you know, curve of, of revenue and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's always based on something. So I guess, at least from a funding perspective, goal setting is important. I think goal setting is important from a marketing perspective as well, in terms of where you want to be and how much money you want to spend in order to get there. But the problem is it's very difficult to set realistic, measurable, actionable goals. So if you've gone through the exercise of crafting your strategy and figuring out which type of consumers you are going to target and how you are going to solve their problem, how do you then translate that into clear, concrete, actionable items? I guess there's a couple of different ways to look at this. One is, uh, what are we trying to achieve from a commercial perspective, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll just use a simple example of, are we trying to attract new customers to a software business, for example, uh, where we have to worry about how much is going to cost us to, to get somewhere? So that notion of starting with commercial outcomes in mind and then worrying about how much we can realistically spend on something will help us get to some kind of a middle point on, on, on goals and goal setting because there's always going to be a cost to acquire new customers, for example, and there's always going to be a cost for more brand-related marketing efforts. And the goals will have to set somewhere between what can we afford at the moment, what are the commercial outcomes, and how much do we think it's going to cost us to get there, I, I feel. that sort of. But isn't that always a bit arbitrary? Like, let's say my cost to acquire a new customer is $40, and my lifetime value of that customer is $100. And I set my goals for the next year that I want to acquire 10,000 new customers. And at $40 a piece, I need um, $100,000 in order to achieve that. So is that how it works? Well, I mean, it's theoretically, yes. But I think we, you know, there's, there's a level of skepticism sometimes that comes with, are some of those assumptions correct? Like, you know, cost to acquire, where is that number coming from? Do we think that number is right? Do we 
think that we're still going to be hitting um, a target a year from now, for example, which is the tricky part in, in, in all, of the, all of the goal setting. Because again, whether it's something large like COVID or whether it's something smaller that happens for, for a startup, or maybe it's just simply our assumptions are completely off, that's where goal setting becomes a, a little tricky. And often talk about how a long-term goals from that perspective can then be and I've always been a huge believer in actually setting our own benchmarks rather than using anything else. So, you know, some of the things that we've spoken about earlier, uh, getting started and having a strategy on what we want to achieve is really, really important. But through actually doing it, we will establish our own benchmarks and be able to find our goals to be more concrete and, and better actually served through our own findings. We, we may have a perspective from the industry that it costs $40 to acquire a customer, for example. But what if it's 60 for us that throws everything off? What if it's 20 for us, for example? And you can only really find that out when you when you do it enough uh, on your own. Maybe the customer acquisition example is even a softball question because you can actually calculate that number relatively easily for most digital businesses. But what happens when you're thinking of running a big brand advertising campaign? I mean, the impact of that is a lot harder to measure and maybe the return on the investment is going to take a lot longer. So how do you set realistic goals for that? Yeah, and it does take longer. I mean, that's the reality of it. And you don't, it's very hard to to sometimes measure the direct immediate impact because it takes longer to change. It takes longer to shift some of the, the metrics that we've spoken about in our earlier episodes, like NPS scores, for example, which we know have an impact on commercial outcomes too, but it takes takes time to change them. So attribution becomes, becomes a challenge. But I, I actually think that there's always going to be two types of goals. You always have the longer aspiration, which you you have to be willing to shift. Um, either way, actually, if you have a one-year target of what you're trying to hit, um, you're always going to have those those moments in time when you need to adjust all of that. But then I think it's very helpful to just simply have monthly goals. Because mm-hmm. we often talk about that mix of strategy and execution. We can have a great long-term strategy, but within that strategy, you have to be ready to um, to tweak your plans and tweak your actions. And, and maybe if we have sort of monthly targets versus longer goals, they'll sort of habits that we create on a monthly basis will be more likely for us to get to the long-term goals if we have that shorter window for us to make changes and actually do do something interesting. That's a very good point. I think finding that balance between long-term aspirations and uh, short-term measurable, quantifiable goals. In the long term, I don't even want to call them goals at that point because it becomes very vague. It's more like which direction you want to go and what are the things that you value and what are the things that you want to pursue that's going to help you get closer. Uh, We've talked about this example. It's a bit like if you want to get fit, your goal is not to be able to lift 200 uh, kg. Your uh, aspiration is to get fit. And what you need to do, like you said, is to start building habits, which is go to gym every day. And as a result of going to gym every day, you will gain the strength to be able to lift 200 kg at some point. I mean, knowing exactly when that point is going to come is a little bit more difficult, but I think committing to that journey is more valuable in the long term. I think advertising is a little bit like that, especially brand advertising. You know, there's a famous quote, I forgot who said it, but uh, 50% of my advertising budget is wasted. I just don't know which 50%. And it's a bit like as long as you know what you're working towards and what your messaging and positioning is and you keep investing in the right channels with the right messages, you are going to get that. It's just extremely difficult to know um, when that's going to happen and how much investment that's going to take. But I guess then the 
answer to that is as long as you have metrics that you keep tracking in the short term and you keep tweaking and adjusting, that uh, keeps you uh, accountable. Yeah, and often I find trajectory is more important than the absolute outcomes. Uh, because again, things happen, changes happen, surprises happen, curveballs happen, all that kind of stuff happens. But if if we have the, the kinds of systems in place to measure what constitute a good outcome over time, and if we're moving those things consistently, back to your gym example, right? It's much more in, important to show up in the gym every day than to do a couple of big things, big moments all the time and expect to get there. Companies are kind of similar. If we have good habits that we do every day and marketing is no different um, and brand is no different, if you actually show up and have a good strategy around it and everything a customer does with us as a company ladders every day up to those brand outcomes. If all of our marketing efforts are, are done in a smart way in the short term and we have the systems in place to know that our trajectory is going in the right way, it's far more likely that we'll hit that point when the outcomes um, that we were aspiring towards are actually met. This systems versus goals conversation is very interesting because goals are sexy, but systems are not. And the problem with goals, at least in my personal experience, is that the moment you hit them, you've done it. There's no more reason for you to keep pushing it unless you come up with a new arbitrary goal for yourself. Whereas you, if you develop a system and you commit to it, over time, it becomes a habit. And if you do it across the company, over time, it becomes part of your culture and it just becomes how you do things. And if you build the right habits and you become a successful company as a result. But let's talk a little bit about uh, actionable examples, right? So let's say my strategy is to grow my market share among a specific customer segment by 3% over the next year. And in order to do that, I might have an idea of what kind of messages and channels I'm going to utilize and how much investment that's going to take. That's all fine. How do I then translate that into an actionable format? If I'm doing this as a founder or a marketer, how do I communicate this to the rest of my team? Or if I'm getting help from freelancers or agencies, how do I communicate this to them? How do I align people uh, that I work with towards the same common goal? I know this is a very loaded question because there's been hundreds of books written on this topic. but Yeah, so I've always been a big fan of, of breaking down where that target might come from. It's going to take quite a lot of assumptions in some cases, but you have to have a hypothesis and a starting point because it's going to then um, help you determine who's going to help you, you get to those outcomes. Sometimes it's agencies, sometimes it's internal hires that you may have to make. Sometimes it's freelance partners. Sometimes it can be a media partnership somewhere or whatever that may be. So I think that the first part in goal setting is, okay, we've arrived at that 3% target now. We've arrived at, we know what the target audience looks like. So what are the things that we're doing today that are converting, right? So we already know that if we are, let's, for the sake of an argument, say that we are a business where you can basically buy our services online. There's going to be a certain percentage of people that are going to convert from that from online no matter what. So that takes a chunk out of your 3% target already. Then there's going to be the more the sort of performance marketing aspect of things. How much is typically our cost to acquire? And you can't do that forever. You're, you're going to hit a, hit, hit a point where, where it's going to get incrementally expensive. So what, what are sort of certain spend levels when it comes to performance media? So things like 
buying search and buying programmatic media and social and all that kind of stuff. What are the types of things um, that we can do there to get part of the 3% off? And then very likely there's going to be a component that's not covered by either one of those things. That's what really the creativity angle and making even larger assumptions on what the other goals could be. Maybe the, the other aspects get to get you to 75%. How do we get the rest of the 25% and how do we actually apply creativity in a way that that 25% hopefully becomes 50%. So you go over that 3% target that way. I think that's a healthy place to start because that's going to start kind of shaping the kinds of partnerships that you, you might want to make. You know, perhaps your website conversion can be raised by a few percentage points. Typically, you're best off if, if a lot of your teams that do that for you are in-house working for you rather than that rather than working for, for a partner company. Hmm. In some cases, you're even better off as a small startup to have a lot of that performance marketing in-house as well. But where does that extra 25% that could become 50% come from? Oftentimes, that comes from... Um, creative thinkers that think a little bit more laterally about your problems, people who sort of use creativity as a bit of an unfair advantage. And often those creative strategic minds come from the agency world. So I think that's a healthy way to start kind of looking at where, where would those longer term aspirations come from and therefore what kinds of partners I might need to achieve that. Uh, these are very valid points. And I think what you described visualized for me uh, a sales funnel. There are funnels, there are flywheels, and there are lots of other metaphors. But I think generally funnel is a good metaphor that works well. Translating your strategy into an actionable plan and formulating in the form of a funnel is generally very helpful. And I find that at this point, taking a moment to write down one or two pages on what your plan is going to be. And of course, it includes the assumptions that you make in order to get to the hypothesis and what you think is going to play out is super helpful. It could say things like, our objective is to grow our market share by 3% in this category by the end of this year. And in order to do that, we must do three things. A, increase awareness among consumers. And in order to do that, we must invest more in brand advertising. B, People who are considering our products, we need to push them to make that purchase. That means investing in more middle-of-the-funnel activities and maybe run more online advertising, for example. And see, people who are churning and stop using our products, we need to win them back. We need to figure out why they're using and fix problems with our product. So we fix the leaked bucket problem, for example. And I find that translating your strategy into clear, actionable items is super helpful because then you can evaluate everything or every little tactical idea that comes after that on the basis of whether they are serving these specific goals. And then it also helps people to focus their thinking. If you go to an agency and say, I want to grow my market share by 3%, they wouldn't know what to do with that information. Whereas if you told them, I want you to focus on getting this group of people aware of my products. And I want you to measure that by surveys or interviews or whatever uh, research format that you are going to use. It suddenly becomes actionable and it forces them to solve the creative problem rather than go back and discuss what you were trying to do in the first place. But the, the real challenge in all of this is sitting down and writing those two pages is super hard because it requires real clarity in your thinking. And I think achieving that clarity can be quite difficult sometimes. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think these points are very well related, you know, starting with what's the aspired outcome? You know, what, what's going to make us commercially successful, right? Then what are the likely places where, where we're going to hit those commercial outcomes? What are the gaps? And then having a really clear document or a really clear plan that outlines some of the critical things where you have to win in order to get there. Um, and then we can start kind of looking at, well, there is a particular problem that an agency can solve. Here's a particular problem that perhaps a little bit of an investment in a couple of marketers inside of the organization can achieve and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think that helps set goals that are targeted for that particular problem that's going to help us get there. Because again, goals are not sort of catch-all goals, right? The 3% goal can be broken down to so many different components where it's likely going to come from. It's never going to come from one or two places. So I think that's very helpful. And then, then once you start you know, involving external parties, agencies or freelancers or whatever that may be, the more clarity on what you actually are trying to achieve and with who is going to be critical. Otherwise, you're, you're kind of very quickly wasting money on efforts that don't actually serve the right kind of purpose. Let's talk on this for a little bit because we both come from agency backgrounds and we've all seen that startups are usually allergic to working with agencies or even getting outside help unless they really have to for the most part. But we also know that there's a lot of benefit that you can get from an agency or a freelancer as well. What's the best way to work with creative people outside your organization? How do you translate? How do you give them the space to be creative to solve your problems? Now you're being on the receiving end. Uh, I'm sure you have a lot of useful tips to share on this. It's very simple. Don't prescribe the solution you're looking for. It really comes down to that. It's that simple, actually. The biggest problem sometimes is that if you've already made up your mind as to what you specifically want to do, what, what the actions and executions look like, for example, a landing page on my website, because that's going to solve my problems, you might as well just do it yourself. If your problem is more about, you know, we are not attracting enough public school teachers to use our education software, you throw that out there and you talk about the numbers, you know, we need to get 300 more schools to use our program and it's only going to come from the teachers being aware of it. When you leave it at something like that, the creative options that are come out there are not going to be focused on the execution that you might have prescribed. Your universe of creativity is, is unlocked almost infinitely, right? I think that's the main thing um, is not prescribe what the, the actual solution might be, but focusing really on what you want to achieve and what the problem is, and then keeping an open mind as to how that problem might be solved. Because as with anything, creativity can solve a problem in a thousand ways. The more open we leave, leave that, the, the more likely we are to succeed. But it also implies that you have... you place your faith and trust in the people that you work with. You trust their creativity. You don't see them as yeah. contractors who are just responsible for executing your vision. Yeah, 100%. I don't really know why we would hire an agency if you don't trust their creativity. I mean, that's the whole <laughs> point, right? I think it's, Egos, it's, kind, of the same as, it's, it's kind, of, kind of the same as going to um, get a haircut and then doing it yourself you know, at the barbershop. You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, on a side note, creative business is one of those things and I think that's related to ego. I mean, you don't go to a doctor and tell your doctor how to do their job. You tell what your problem is and the doctor tells you how to solve it. Or the barber, yeah. like you, you kind of know what style you want, but you trust the barber to do their best. So, But when it comes to creative work, I think there's a tendency for people to jump in and get involved. Maybe it's exciting. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, I think part of it is it's it's exciting. And don't get me wrong, I totally respect clients where, who you can work and startups and large companies alike, where you, you can have really heated debates sometimes and productive debates and, and really having everyone's perspective and point of view on something. Because ultimately, the best outcome comes when you have somebody who understands the company whose problem we're solving through and through. Agencies, no matter how long they spend on that business, won't be as specialist in that particular business. They understand it very well, but not as specialist, and they don't know the day-to-days. But ultimately, at the same time, you have a lot of people in agencies um, that come from the various different aspects of an agency who also understand the latest and greatest in options for creativity, perhaps sometimes better than the other part of that partnership. So that partnership is really, really critical. So there has to be a level of an open mind. But what I meant earlier was actually much more about when you're briefing a third party, choose your partners based on what your confidence level is in their creativity, especially if you're looking at more of a creative solution. And then initially in the brief, it's best to leave the sort of sphere of options open. There's always going to be you know, solutions in there that for whatever reason may not be viable. But at least you have, um, you know, a much larger breadth of different creative options to choose from. And the, the other thing I would say is creativity is quite, it's difficult sometimes, you know, because how do you choose between what is a good creative idea and what's not? And there's so many examples of this, like the Cadbury's Gorilla is probably one of the famous examples, right? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that having sounded like an amazing idea to everyone in the room at the time it was sold. I wasn't there, but I can, I've read a couple of books on it. But ultimately, it ended up being one of the more successful effectiveness campaigns, not just creative campaigns out there. Um, and it was basically just built around this incredible amount of trust that happened between the client and the agency in that particular case. And yes, I'm using a big brand example, but um, creativity can be a competitive advantage for startups. I think dollarshaveclub.com is a good, great example as well. It was a startup that used creativity in a really smart way. And I think they come from agency backgrounds as well. And they started with a brief for that video that made them famous. Exactly. And there's a lot of personality in that video. We should actually share that video in our show notes. It's a fantastic example of a company that at the time was very much a startup. And they ended up going through a pretty large acquisition when they became a bit more famous. So um, we talked about a lot of things. Let me try to summarize. First, we talk about how to bridge that gap between strategy and execution. And in order to do that, we talk about the value of goal setting. I think a very interesting uh, takeaway is the this divide between systems and goals. A lot of the times people focus on goals, which are super helpful in the short term because they are concrete, they are actionable, and they hold you accountable. But in the long term, it's more important to build the right habits that are going to get you closer to your aspirations because the long term, by definition, is vague, it's blurry, and things change. COVID is a great example of this. If you ask anyone who was doing their planning in 2019, nobody would have said, I'm going to stay at home and watch Netflix in between Zoom meetings. So... The other thing we talked about was how to work with creative people. And the best way to translate your goals into action is to write those down. Whether it's a one or two page document that highlights your assumptions, your hypotheses, and how you're going to measure the results and what kind of results you expect to get. And then you use your goals 
and the benchmarks that you set for your business in order to track those goals and how well you are doing those. And that gives you the opportunity and the space to change your direction if you need to. And finally, we talked about how to work with creative people and agencies. And your super valuable tip on this is don't tell them what the solution is. Describe the problem in as much detail as you can and give them the space to exercise their creativity and come up with a solution for that problem. Because the main reason why you are hiring them in the first place is because they are different thinkers. Their brain works in a different way and they are able to come up with solutions that you may not have thought of. And that's why it's much more useful to treat them as creative partners for your business than contractors who are responsible for executing your vision. Yeah, just the, the very notion of outsiders and using outsiders on your business is quite refreshing. I mean, countless conversations with startup founders where you kind of point out something and they're like, how did I not see this in the X years of running this business? It's been right in front of me. When you work on something for so long, you become you have blind spots. It's natural for humans, right? And sometimes it takes outsiders to be able to come in and point out something that was just right in front of you anyway. So that outsider perspective often helps. Maybe in our next episode, we can discuss a little bit more about how do you actually come up with creative solutions? How do you exercise that creativity muscle, whether it's within your company or when you work with outsiders that are helping you? Absolutely. Sounds like a good idea for next episode. Thank you for listening to Strategy and Sourdough. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us out, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. 